Thank you, Dorothy. It's good to know that the Bible tells us when God's people are gathered, He's there. He's in the midst of His people. He inhabits His praises. And as we have opportunity to praise Him in a way that we cannot even explain or describe, He's here. And that's our heart's desire. Uh, I will never view Sunday school the same way again. <laughs> great perspective. It's, isn't it great, though, that we can work together, encourage one another? And so we have a challenge before us. What a great... I appreciate appreciate Roy and, and George and, and all the Sunday school teachers. And it is a great way, guys, for us to grow closer to the Lord and one another and to touch lives through Sunday school. So great encouragement. Looking this morning uh, at Jesus Christ, discovering our Lord and, and looking at different questions and looking at a question that cannot be avoided this morning. The focus deals with His trials with Pontius Pilate. But the question, whether we want to ignore it or not, we can't. One day we will find ourselves in His presence at a time of judgment, and the question will be asked about Him. So I just want to read a single verse this morning. It's found in Matthew 27. I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor. And we want to take just a moment before I pray for each of us to examine and to think firsthand about this question. It's found in Matthew 27, verse 22. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. Let's pray. Father, we, we are here not by accident. We are here, Lord, because you touched our hearts and you allowed us to be together. You want to speak to us, Lord. This question is so critical. It is so crucial. What shall I do with Jesus Christ? And I just pray this morning, God, that You might work in us, God, all of us and me. God, I, I pray that You might touch us by Your precious Spirit. I pray that You might transform us by the work of Your precious Spirit. I pray that You might take us out of this meeting place and into this world that needs to hear about Jesus. And Father, uh, just grab a hold of us, Lord. Um, help us to see You in Your glory, God. And I just pray that what time remains as I make an effort to speak that You would work. And Lord, You can, you can work. I really can. And Father, uh, speak to us, Lord. We need You, Lord. In Your name we pray. Amen. We'll spend a little bit of time looking at the trials of Jesus Christ. We went through three trials, but I want to look at the second two of those and then focus in on this question that is so critical. Um, as we look at Jesus Christ, we, we see that the first trial he went through was a, was a Jewish trial. And the big question they were after was blasphemy. They they wanted to focus in on that 
Did, did you really say you're God? Because that was the highest crime in the Jewish society, and that was by stoning to death. That was the execution. Then in the Roman trial, the higher crime was treason. So what was focused in on was, did you say you were king? But here's the deal. The, the Jews, they desperately, they wanted to see Jesus executed, but they didn't have the authority to do that. Only the Romans had that authority. You see, according to the Jews, the execution was by stoning. But God, hundreds of years before, centuries before, He proclaimed that His promised one, as He would give His life, it would be upon a tree. It would be by the type of execution, not by throwing stones, but by crucifixion. In Deuteronomy 21, verses 22-23, we read, If a man guilty of a capital offense is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. To be hung upon a tree was to become a curse. In Galatians 3.13 we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Guys, He became a curse so that we could become children of God. What a thought. And, and you cannot ignore the question, who is Jesus to you? And, and we want to look at this morning. I want to take a couple minutes just to let Scripture speak. First, that Jewish trial. Uh, look in Matthew 26, beginning at verse 57. So we look at ten verses. Those who had arrested Jesus, took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. They ended up going to uh, the high priest's house at night. It was illegal for them to meet at night. And obviously, I think that two didn't show up. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who believed in Jesus, didn't come. It says, but Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face 
and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you. Isn't it interesting? The one who is truth told the truth to a bunch of those who use lies in order to seek a conviction. And he was basically convicted of telling the truth and being the truth in this mockery of a trial. Then there's the second trial, which is the Roman trial. I want to briefly look at uh, in John chapter 18, beginning at verse 28. Remember here, the focus was not on blasphemy or the declaration, I am God, but upon the declaration, I am king, that I am an enemy of the Roman Empire, a threat. John 18, beginning at verse 28, we read about that trial. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves, judge him by your law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words of Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Then Pilate went back to the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom's from another place. You are a king then? said Pilate. Jesus answered, You're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So he comes from this different angle. He says, are you a king? And he says, I'm a king, but not of this world, another world. And and Pilate is, is stricken. He's in a dilemma. He's in a dilemma because these Jews are pressuring him. They want Jesus to be convicted. They want Him executed. They know that they can't execute Him because they don't have the authority to carry it out by stunning. And so they're trying to force His hand. And Pilate was not the best of characters. He had a rough history with the Jews. He liked to mock them and ridicule them. He liked to think of them as being small-minded and bigoted, as, as being closed to the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, you know, it kind of reminds me of today. If you have convictions about God, if you have convictions about His Scriptures, if you, if you stand up for something that other people are against that's from God, then you get pushed down and you get knocked down in the eyes of our popular culture. And, and, and it's, he would attack the Jews. He, he would really, and they hated him for it. Matter of fact, Josephus, the historian, lists a couple of those times where he, he did hated activities. There was on one occasion where they would meet in the capital city in that area. 
And uh, when the others would come, the other governors would come and they would gather. They had these markers. It would be similar to our flags. But instead of flagpoles and flags, they had these uh, markers. And, and typically what they would have upon them was uh, either the bust of the leader of that area, that governor, or they would have an eagle upon the marker. He knew, Pilate knew, that the Jews had a disdain that they they hated to have any kind of emblem, it, any kind of symbolism that de, that depicted God or one to be worshipped, because that was against their commandments. But he, on purpose, he wanted to tick them off, so he would have this bust of Caesar on there, and that would be an obvious uh, thing to fight about. The other governors would come in there, and they would have theirs with nothing on them, out of respect for the Jewish people. They didn't want to start fighting, but not Pilate. He wanted to make them mad. On another occasion, he stole a bunch of money out of the treasury, and he took the money and worked on his own project. Sounds like a normal politician. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, he took the money, and uh, he, he built an aqueduct system by that money, and of course that made the Jews angry. They came outside of his palace where the governor lived, and, and they stood up against him, and they were protesting. He put his own men out in the crowd, and at his signal, they began to just kill Jewish people. Well, it stopped the fighting overtly, but not the talk, not the hatred. So there was this fighting going on, and of course, they were going above his head. They were going to the man over Pilate's head, and they were saying to him, Man, this guy's ruthless. This guy's not a good ruler. You need to can him. You need to replace him. And so Pilate was under pressure. He wanted to keep his position. He wanted to keep his political power. He didn't want to be pushed aside. And so at some point, he had to kind of work with his Jews. You see, he needed his job. They needed to have their way. They needed to have Jesus killed. And so on both sides, had something to work toward in in this as they began to go forward. You see, the, the governor had the final word. wasn't like today when... You know, we go through our court system, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Someone goes in jail, and then they get out in a few weeks. Now, when the governor said his word, that conviction carried. At times, uh, it would be good if we had a little more of that here. This example, you know the group MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving? They did a uh, shared in, in one article in a newspaper in California, they had written about the fines given to drunk drivers in other nations. I'll just read a few of these. Uh, In Australia, they print names under the heading, He is drunk and in jail. In Malaysia, the drunk driver is jailed, and if he's married, his wife's jailed too. Well, I bet that went over real good. So much for the... They need a marriage seminar, probably Mark, uh, with that one. Um, In Turkey, drunken drivers are taken 20 miles from town by the police and forced to walk back under escort. It's interesting. In Norway, three weeks in jail, hard labor, license taken away for one year. Second offense, within five years, their license revoked forever. In Finland and Sweden, automatic jail time for one year with hard labor. In Costa Rica, police remove the place from the car... In the Soviet Union, they lose their license forever. In Great Britain, one-year license suspended, $250 fine, and a year in jail. (laughs) 
Poland's jail, uh, fine and political lectures. Oh boy, that's probably the worst part. Listen to political lectures. Uh, in Bulgaria, second conviction results in execution. They're serious. In El Salvador, first conviction results in death by a firing squad. They don't sell a lot of booze there. <laughs> and a lot of ABC stores. Uh, but, but the point is, man, when the governor came down with a verdict, that was it. Jesus was like a mouse in the mouth of a big cat. Once that conviction came down, he was headed to the cross. Although there was no guilt found in him. Turn back when Matthew 27. We want to look at this account as we, as we come down in the message. Matthew 27. Verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Here's Pilate. He he can't find anything wrong with Jesus, but he wants to continue to be the governor. He doesn't want to be pressured out. His his political career is on the line. There's a lot of pressure. The the Jews are pressing the thumb down. He he knows it's wrong, but but he likes living in the governor's mansion, you know, the governor's castle. He he likes to have all that attention. He likes the pomp. He, He likes the respect. and He doesn't like the Jews. He's pressured. And so he's trying to think on his feet. He's like, how can I work through this? How, how, can, how can I win? How can I come through? And as these questions come before him, he, the chief priests and the elders persuade the crowd, ask for Barabbas, you know? I mean, he's this notorious criminal. They'll choose him instead. That way you can get out of this. He's thinking in his mind. And, and so he says... and. Verse 21, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor, asked Pilate. Barabbas, they answered. Man, it's the worst words that he, he could have heard. He thought, man, why do, they want, why do they want this notorious criminal instead of Jesus? I can't find anything wrong with him. You notice when he talked to Jesus, he didn't say, you're guilty of blasphemy. He didn't care. The Romans believed in many gods. What difference did it make to him? He was more concerned about him being a king, but when he said he's a king of the other world, he's not really a threat. But he's 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 working here, he's struggling. And so then then comes the question. He says, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Look at the response. They all answered. Crucify him. And and he just he's he's honest. He says, Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, Crucify! When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but instead there was an uproar starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. You see, 
He was the politician up until the end here. He, he, he thought about what to do and he was still being fast on his feet. And he thought about a tradition among the Jewish people. And if you turn me real quickly, uh, we'll look at this quickly. It's in Deuteronomy 21 that he was trying to use to his advantage because he wanted to, he wanted to pass the responsibility. He, he didn't want to take responsibility for this. So in Deuteronomy 21, it's uh, verses 1 through 9, but I want to start at verse 1 here. It says, If a man is found slain, lying in a field in the land the Lord your God's giving you to possess, and it's not known who killed him, your elders and judges shall go out and measure the distance from the body to the neighboring towns. Then the elder of the town nearest the body shall take a heifer that's never been worked and has never worn a yoke, and lead her down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted, and where there's a flowing stream. There in the valley, there to break the heifer's neck, the priest, the sons of Levi, shall step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister, to announce blessings in the name of the Lord, and decide all cases of dispute and assault. Then all the elders of the town nearest the body shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall declare, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it done. Accept this atonement for your people Israel, whom you redeemed, O Lord, and do not hold your people guilty of the blood of an innocent man, and the bloodshed shall be atoned for, so you will purge from yourselves the guilt of shedding innocent blood, since you have done what is right, in the eyes of the Lord. You see, I think Pilate was trying to declare that. I think he was trying to say, My hands did not shed this blood, nor did my eyes see it done. I'm not a part of this. But you know what? It's not that easy with Jesus. Guys, you can say, I'm not a part of this. I didn't crucify Jesus. I didn't hang Him on the cross. But we did. It was for our sins that He died. There's no way to get away from it. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, here's a couple of choices you can have when you look at Pilate. And, and when you look, it wasn't just Pilate, it was the crowd. They yelled, crucify him. And all of us, still today, through each generation, we all have to deal with that question. What will we do with Jesus? You can't leave it alone because that's a choice. First choice you can make is you can be impressed but remain unresponsive. You say, man, he, man, he, he rose from the dead? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father? He's in heaven? He's God? That's really cool. But do nothing about it. To, to look at it from a distance. And that's a choice. Second, you can listen to other people's opinions of Him, what they have to say about Him, but never personally bow to Him as Lord and Savior. You can make that choice. But just remember... Everybody's going to follow somebody. And there's only one who paid the price. There's only one who every knee will bow and every tongue confess He's Lord. And that's Jesus. We're all going to follow... Who will you follow? Are you going to follow Christ? Or are you going to follow somebody else? You see, that's the question. Third, uh, Pilate's wife said, Stay away from Jesus. There are some people who, they hear that, you know, they say, oh, the church, oh, this stuff about Jesus. And they hear the good news, but they don't take the good news seriously. Man, it is serious. In 
the Bible describes this as a vapor or you know a little bit of smoke or mist appears for a little while, then vanishes. We talked about this this morning in Sunday school briefly. Things can change in just a moment. We all think life's not going to change, that, that the rug will not be pulled out from under us. But there's no guarantee of any of that. There's only one thing that we're sure of. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you call out to Him now, He's there. He's there. But everything else might change. I want to close... Uh, read to you an excerpt from Charles Spurgeon, a real famous preacher back a couple of centuries ago that a lot of uh, preachers have quoted. And You know, like I think Chuck Swindoll said, all's fair and love warm preaching. A lot of preachers have probably uh, taken a lot of his stuff and used it, tried to preach it. But I want to share a little bit from his testimony and just reading his words about how he dealt with that question, what shall I do with Jesus? He says, the only decision that will matter in the end is this decision. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I thought the sun was blotted out of my sky, that I had so sinned against God, there was no hope for me. I prayed, the Lord knoweth how I prayed, but I never had a glimpse of an answer that I knew of. I searched the word of God. The promises were more alarming than the threatenings. I read the privileges of the people of God, but with the fullest persuasion, they were not for me. The secret of my distress was this. I did not know the gospel. I was in a Christian land. I had Christian parents. But I did not understand the freeness and simplicity of the gospel. I knew it was said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But I did not know what it was to believe in Christ. I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair now that it had not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no further, I found a little chapel with 15 people. The minister did not come that morning because of the snow. A poor man, a shoemaker, went into the pulpit to preach. His text was, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in his text. He began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, Look, now that does not take a great deal of effort. It isn't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says, Look unto me. Many of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourself. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. He said, by this time I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I sin. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Look to me. Look to me. Then he turned his attention to me. He said, young man, you look very miserable. And you'll always be miserable in life and in death if you do not obey the text. But if you obey now this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look now. He made me start in my seat. But I did look to Christ. There and then the cloud rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun. I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. 
and the simple faith which looks alone to Him. Oh, that somebody had told me that before. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. What then shall I do with Christ? Have you looked? I'm not talking about have you glanced, but have you looked? Have you looked into the eyes of the compassionate one who knows you, who knows your sin, who knows where you are, knows where you've been, knows where you're headed, but loves you. Loves you enough to to walk down that road, up that hill. Loves you enough to have his hands pierced. Who loves you enough to, to hang on the cross. And he loves you now. Look to him. He's there. We can't go wrong by trusting him. We're having a time of response to God and in a moment to stand, to sing, to come to the altar, to, to go forward in, in him. And, and I'm going to ask us, I'm going to ask each of us, look to him. Maybe you've never looked to him. Maybe you've never really come to grips with him as Savior and Lord. You've heard about him, but maybe you really haven't bowed your life to him. It's not too late. You can do that now. Or maybe at this point, your life's just not been headed down that road. You've lost sight. You've gotten diverted. And, and you know you need to get focused back on Him. Uh, the altar's here. God's ready. I, I love the fact that He is always ready to receive us, no matter where we are. And He loves us so much, He'll take us on to the next place with Him. Let, let's pray and then let's respond. God, thank You for an opportunity to worship You today. What then shall I do with Christ? What a question. And Father, I I pray this morning that Your Holy Spirit would be free to move throughout this place and to touch hearts and that we would deal with this question and that we would respond to You. Whatever that may be, God, I pray that You would be honored. Father, we want to see You glorified this morning. Lives that need to trust You Now's the time. If there be one here, now's the time to to pray, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Enter my heart. Give me eternal life and hope. Uh, Father, uh, for those who have not looked to you for a while, and Father, they they found that salvation, but for now they're just not walking with their Savior. I pray, Father, that you start this morning to get back on track, to keep in step with your Spirit. I, I just pray, Father, you'd be glorified. Lord, speak to us and help us respond to you this morning. For it's in the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.